Here it is. Again. <laughs> and it's cold. I believe that the music I heard is a killer. It's a killer of hope. It's a killer of spirit. And Devo plays for Muffy's party. We bring you an act. They'll just boggle your mind. The Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. Let's go! Hey, everybody. I'm Joseph. And I'm Rob. Welcome to the November 1978 edition of Deep Dives and Deep Cuts, the history of punk, post-punk, and new wave, 1976 all the way through 1986. We've got a lot of really cool music. I'm just, I, I have, I have goosebumps right now because everything, I mean, I don't know. It's all coming together at any rate. Um, so we, we do have a really nice playlist for everybody. And uh, it's a little bit of uh, stuff that we've heard before and some new debut albums, which are really cool. Um, I think maybe we'll just kick it off with some music from The Jam. Uh, my pick here was uh, Bomb in Wardour Street. have been talking about November 1978 for like this entire season yeah, yeah really and it's finally come I know I am so excited I, I feel like um, a bit of a broken record at um, at this point but I just for anyone who hasn't heard me say it in the past um, way down the road eventually at some point once we get all the way through 1986 we're going to look back and we're going to choose the greatest month for punk and new wave no idea what that month is going to be but we are definitely going to be considering uh november of 1978 um wow yeah wow all Um, i can say is yeah it's finally here yay (laughs) really stoked (laughs) But before we get into it, I just remind, want to remind everybody that um, we are talking about music. Music is art. There is nothing more subjective than art. Um, this is an opinion show. We will be giving our opinions, but we try to be mindful to not get too opinionated because ultimately this podcast is intended as a celebration of this extraordinary music that was produced in a pretty unique uh, period in time. So with that, Rob, let's yeah. talk about The Jam. Uh, the Jam release their third album, All Mod Cons, um, in November of 1978. Now, I know that before this podcast started, you were only very peripherally familiar with The Jam. So you've been kind of discovering them as we go along. This album their third album 
quite a leap from their first two albums, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, you know, it is very different. Um, but I'm hanging on. I, I'm I've become I've become a fan, and uh, and I am hanging on. Um, in fact, I have to say that this, there's a couple songs in here that really cemented uh, my feelings for the jam. And uh, one of them is A Bomb in Wardour Street, and the other is uh, a song that you picked. Now, uh, I, I actually, the more I listen to and the more I read about them, I, I like this band a lot more, like, like more and more. So... Yeah. yeah. Well, now I am just assuming that of the three jam albums that you're now familiar with, that this is the one that you like the best. But yeah. that is a total assumption. Yeah. Is that true? It, it it is it is my favorite. Yeah. 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 Um. So uh, there was a reason why. Well, several reasons why I wanted to feature this album first. Um. And one of them was because uh, there is there's a couple of things going on in November of 1978, and I think one of the um, one of the things that just kind of jumps out at me first there there are several bands that emerge on their debut album like almost fully formed. And I thought it would be a nice contrast to talk about the jam first because they were very different. So they, you know, their the their first album, pretty good album, but they don't didn't you know, they sounded a little generic. Like they they didn't really have their own unique thing going on. So in the in the previous album, the second album, there were moments, there were like little windows where you could see where they were going, which were the highlight of the album for me. But this album is where they really just they shine and there it's it is a uh a public declaration of of who the jam are and what makes them unique from um, all the other bands, uh, and so it's been nice to kind of see that that evolution. But there are several debuts where the sound is completely unique, unlike anything else, fully formed. It's a it's a really exciting month. Yeah, yeah. Well, th- this album right here is where they come into their own, and that that is a thing that really excited me about about this about this album, this whole collection of music, really, the jam. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, all mod cons, which is uh, slang, it's a English slang for all modern conveniences. Um, Rolling Stones number 24 greatest punk album of all time. Um, Q's number 50th greatest British album of all time. And NME's number 219th greatest album of all time, period. Um, And I, at this point, um, listening to this album... It's hard for me to to take it too seriously as like a like a full tilt punk album because it's really not. It's it's kind of more interesting than that. Mm-hmm. I see. Um, 
And uh, so to sort of, although the, the, the song that we just heard is kind of leaning more towards the punk side. So let's balance it out with my pick, um, a song called Mr. Clean. Daylight dawns, you wake up and you're Mr. Clean. A piece of toast from the one you love most and you leave. I'm like totally way off base on this uh, and I am completely speculating. I have no reason to, to think that this is actually the case, but the first couple of times I listened to this album, you know, what album uh, sprung to mind the most What's that? was um, the clashes London calling, which of yeah. course, hasn't been released yet. And I just wonder, and once again, this is complete speculation on my part, but I wouldn't be surprised if this album, All Mods Con, was sort of to um, The Clash's London calling what the Beach Boys' pet sounds were to... um, the Beatles' magical, mis- um, not magical mystery tour, um, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band, uh, because the while the sound, I'm not saying that the the songs sound similar, but the feel of the album and the 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 permission that it's giving itself to have some punk elements, but to go in other directions and not be pinned down and, and be more melodic and have more dynamic uh, changes between songs really made me think of London Calling. So I this is a, a itsy-bitsy tiny spoiler. Um, later on this episode, we're going to be talking about The Clash's second album, um, where um, it is, it's kind of sounds more like a traditional second album for a punk band. And I just wonder if some or all of the members of The Clash were paying close attention to this album and had it sort of top of mind when they started working on, on London Calling. Because it, it, those two albums really feel like kindred spirits. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when I when I listened to this, one of the first things I thought of immediately was well, the, the first thing I thought of immediately was the Clash, and I, I think you're absolutely right. It, I mean, you know, who who are we to say that it was definitely you know inspirational to the to the album? But there's oh, yeah. definitely some influence there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and to, to um, speaking of influence, uh, this is pretty obvious to anyone who's familiar with this album um because they there is even a cover song um on it that that's by the kinks but this is in spirit if not in sound heavily influenced by the kinks uh which is i mean if you got to be influenced by any 60s band it should be the kinks as far as i'm concerned so you know um 
uh, after this album came out, the jam uh, went out and they toured uh, like all good punk bands did back then. And um, they toured in the United States and it did really poorly and they got booed a lot. And do you, do you know what band they were touring with? No. Talk about being set up for failure. They were touring with Blue Oyster Cult. Oh, man. <laughs> now, oh, I wow. I kind of love uh, certain albums by Blue Oyster Cult, mm-hmm. but talk about talk about music for a completely different audience. Different crowd, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm a Blue Oyster Cult fan. In fact, uh, it was just a handful of years ago. They're still playing, and a handful of years ago, I'd been to a Blue Oyster Cult concert. And yeah, it's a totally different crowd. <laughs> Down in the tube station at midnight, we actually heard that song. That was the song that I played um, during the favorite punk bands episode uh-huh. when we were talking about um, the jam. That was kind of their um, biggest hit off of this album, was a hit in the UK, Was didn't do anything here in the United States, of course. The first album discussed for November of 1978 is the jam's third album, All Mod Cons. Um, and Rob, I think I know the answer to this. Um, when you sit down to consider your list for um, best albums of 1978, this is going to be in the mix, right? It, it kind of has to be. Yeah, it's definitely a consideration. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, I, I mean, I don't know. You know, we talked about how there's a balance between punk and, and you know, they, they kind of mellow it out or... I, I guess my favorite song on the album is towards the end of it, so <laughs> they become punkier in the in the uh, in mm-hmm. the album. But it is, in my mind, a really good punk album. Okay, let's move on to Kate Bush's second album, Lionheart. We have uh, we spent a fair amount of time earlier this season talking about this album when I when we did our deep dive on Kate Bush at that point we um, listened to the song coffee home ground the song that we're going to listen to tonight is again your pick and I don't know if you remember this but um, when we were doing the the deep dive I speculated about your pick was either going to be Coffee Home Ground or Hammer Horror. Yeah. And sure enough, <laughs> there it is. Well, it's funny because I, I have my notes on this page in my notebook, and it's like, finally I get my Hammer Horror, you know? <laughs> I, I mean, I... You know, you know how I, I feel about Kate Bush. I mean, I was not a Kate Bush fan, and and then I'm learning more about her and l- listening to her discography, and uh, I'm a big fan. I'm a fan of Kate Bush, and I'm a huge fan of of Hammer horror films. So, how could I not choose it? Yeah. So, uh, let me ask you if if I remember correctly, this album was was fairly low on both of our rankings. Isn't isn't that true? You, you know, I. It's hard for me to say now without looking back at my notes mm-hmm. because I, I had a different experience listening to this album than, say, when I was listening to all of her albums. And You know, I, ex- I experienced the same thing. Yeah. And so I, I think that – and I could be wrong, um, but I think that I placed it more in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, I 
I like this album. You know, I like it just fine. And I have I have a couple really good, really favorite songs, and the two favorite are the ones that you mentioned. But but you know, I I, I like the album. Great. So um, we spoke so much about Hammer Horror. I think we should just listen to it. Yeah. probably always will be one of my least favorite Kate Bush albums, but I guess maybe because I've just like completely dismissed it when I came back to it, it's, you know, it was, I liked it a little bit more. Um, and you know, I was, I mostly listened to it at work when I was working and it's a good, like, mm, album to play when you're only dedicating you know 30 percent of your brain to <laughs> to it um yeah. it's one of those albums um still not definitely um not in the top half of kate bush albums as far as i'm concerned not punk or new wave really at all right, we don't right. start to see that influence until the till the next album um but I, I kind of liked it a little, little bit more this time. So Wow was the big hit um, off of this album. Uh, did uh, very well in the UK. Uh, once again, didn't do anything here in the United States. So, Rob, yeah. I, I would be very surprised if this album um, makes the end of the, uh, really any end of, year list yeah um, not, not so much um kate, kate bush though i have learned to enjoy her uh i don't find her at least not, as you said not yet to be very new wavy um and she's yeah. definitely not a punk uh punk you know she's not she's not punk so but you know it's good stuff nonetheless just not going to be on the list yeah, so those of you playing at home, if you if you have a limited amount of time and you have to carefully choose the albums that you explore, um, this this may not be an an essential one to get to. This this should we recommend that you put it on your list of if I've got some extra time, I'll get to it. Uh, but once again, completely subjective. Okay, completely shifting gears. Uh, we're going to talk about the debut album, uh, a band called Tubeway Army. Um, mo and really, most most people are familiar with this band as Gary Newman. Yeah. Um, but the first couple of albums were, were Tubeway Army um, albums. 
what is your relationship history with with Gary Newman? Are you are you a big fan? Are you that familiar with his his catalog? I'm I'm fairly familiar with his work. I wouldn't say I'm a big fan, and that I think comes from the fact that I'm not, you know, extremely familiar with his work. Um, I think I grew up hearing him. You know, I grew up knowing a couple of songs, and uh, to me, they were they were kind of they they were kind of a staple in a certain sound of music, like in mm-hmm. the early '80s. Um, but but not you know I'm just n- not as familiar, say, you know, as I am with like Oingo Boingo or Susie and the Banshees or The Cure, you know. And I think his stuff is is pretty cool. Um, but I've never owned an album, and I I I think until now I have never listened to an entire album at, at once. Mm-hmm. Well, I I owned a number of um, Gary Newman albums uh, growing up, um, but had never heard this one. So uh, he is, of course, most famous, at least here in the states, for the song um, "Cars," and which which is not on this album. Right. And at that point, he he is very much in the synth pop new wave yeah. mode. Yeah. Um, so this album was quite a surprise because uh, even though it's their debut album, it is at the time it was described as a transitional album because the Tubeway Army up until that point were pretty straight ahead punk. And this is the only album that really reflects any of that. And of course, the next album, they completely completely shift gears as mm-hmm. far as the sound that they go for. Um, I really, really like this album. I mean, a part of the reason why I could never really get into Gary Newman is because he he has, he's, he's got a great voice and it is yeah, completely unique, very distinctive, but he's, it's, he, he, he has a very sort of detached, icy delivery. And, um, that coupled with most of the music that he does moving forward, where it's kind of cold, icy synthesizers, just it's very like at arm's length emotionally. Mm-hmm. Whereas this, the music is 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 totally um, uh, warm and aggressive. It's it's analog. It is you know, kick drums and basses going through amps and, and all of that, which I think juxtaposition with, uh, with his, um, with his voice in, a uh, a way that appeals to me quite a bit more than his, um, you know, more synthy stuff. So I am loving this album. Well, I, I have to say that the, the heavy bass is the first thing I noticed about this uh, about this album, and yeah. and you're right. It it is, I think, as much a storyteller as as the song. You know, the the lyrics mm. to the song as much as Gary Newman is. So, um, I mean, the songs are heavy and they're gritty and grimy, and and yeah, I mean, I don't know. Bef- I don't know if I would have called it punk. But it definitely has the punk elements, and it's it's pretty sweet. So, well, okay, let's uh, let's listen to my pick off of this album, a song called Friends. Um, 
I I have a hard time envisioning what you would call this song other than a punk song. This right here is that bass I was talking about. <laughs> this, yeah. this song right here. This is a killer tune. And and yeah, it's it's a punk song. Um, you know, he's he's got this way of like I mean, he sings about heavy, gritty, like serious stuff. And uh and the bass and the drums, it's all serious instrumentation, man. It's a it's a good tune and it's a great album. Good good choice. Boy, you know, if there were such thing as like national championships for like people who can do tongue twisters, I think that he could be like, yeah. at this point, <laughs> he could be like a national champion or he, something because that guy can, as, as somebody who frequently loses control of his tongue, Gary Newman is like in control of his tongue at every moment. Talk about... Yeah. Precision. He uh, kicks, astonishing. He kicks those lyrics out so quick. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I mean, it sounds cool. Like he's got this, this almost like a shrillness or a, I don't know. It's, there's something about his voice. Like you said, it's totally unique, but yeah. that voice coupled with those, those really fast paced lyrics, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So let's shift gears to um, the song that you picked. Another, uh, kind of heavy bass. It leans heavily on the bass as far as as far as the hook. Um, quite a catchy song. What did uh, What did you pick? Ah, I chose my shadow in vain. So Rob, I I gotta say every time I hear this song, there is one song that pops into my head that, uh, as far as the baseline goes, that I I just it is kind of uncanny. Um, <laughs> when you when you first heard this song, did you think of the Nax My Sharona? You know, I'll say I'll be honest and say no, I didn't. But there has been a nagging in my brain. Every t- I've heard this song like 10 times now, and I'm like, what is it with the intro? The, the bass here is just 
I know this. This is another song, but I, you know, I get it now. <laughs> yeah, I get it now. Yeah, yeah. So it would it would be interesting, um, and I guess there's no way to know for sure, but. Um, it seems to me like there is a possibility that either consciously or subconsciously when um, whoever wrote my Sharona um, had was familiar with this song because um, it is it seems really obvious to me that the backbone of my Sharona is is this this bass line and and the 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 way that the percussion works with the bass line in the, in this song um yeah a lot of fun yeah. you know, a lot of fun my sharon is an iconic tune and uh you know gary newman's no slouch when it comes to music and his career has been great um back in these days man people weren't suing left and right for uh you know for stealing other other yeah. <laughs> other people's music i'm i i think it's a cool tune though Cool yeah, I mean it's a it's a pretty straightforward part, so it is entirely possible that they, you know, they developed it um, completely independent mm -hmm. of ever right. hearing this song. It could but, be. Okay, so the Tubeway Army's um, debut album called Tubeway Army. Uh, I I think that this is an album that should be in the mix for one of the best albums of, of 1978. Um, it's weird to say that this this debut album comes out fully formed because their sound is about to change, but they do not sound generic here. They no, sound no. they sound very specific. They sound very secure about who they are and what they're doing. It's not the jam where it took them a couple of albums to to develop, you know, into something pretty unique. I mean, right out of the gate, it's like, you're not going to confuse this band with any other band. Right. That is for sure. Yeah. And okay. I'm just putting them in, in my list of considerations right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you're ready to move on to another debut album from a, a band that would that would become pretty darn successful in the yeah. 80s. Um, yeah. This is Midnight Oil. So Midnight Oil, of course, um, an Australian band. Their debut uh, eponymous, eponymously titled album, Midnight Oil, was released in November of 1978. Um, so, Rob, were you like me where you weren't aware of midnight oil until beds are burning became a big hit was was that your yeah. introduction to midnight yeah. oil a yeah absolutely that's, that's that's pretty typical of of us yanks over here um uh and did, did you ever get into them no um you know i i i know people i, I knew people that listened to midnight oil um i worked with a guy that would play it at work but it was never you know never my thing really yeah i tried to get into them and i think actually my little brother had a couple of albums of theirs like the uh, the the album with with beds are burning and then maybe uh -huh. the album right after that and they they just they sounded a little overproduced um to me and not very inspiring 
and um, they, they they have released a ton of albums. Oh, yeah. They, and they, they were playing up until 2017. I mean, they yeah, were actually yeah, a touring band yeah. up till then. And I, I still think that uh, of, that at some point I'm going to discover a Midnight Oil album that just absolutely resonates for me. I was hoping that their debut album was going to be it, but it is not. This is this album is not for me. I, I was surprised at, at how much prog rock elements they were in uh-huh. this in this album. Yeah, you, you know what's funny about about this debut album is that um, I started listening to it and I'm like, you know, I'm not I'm not really digging it. Um, and then I think the playlist I listened to had the songs kind of jumbled up, and uh, and then I came to the song that you picked that we're going to listen to and uh, a song that, that I think two other songs that I really kind of dug. And I have to say that I, I actually liked five out of seven songs. Oh, good. Okay. So it's, it sounds like you're, you you like this album more than I do. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I like the album. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not going to go on my favorite punk or new wave album or, you know, list. And and yeah, but but I do I do enjoy it. I do enjoy it, and I was actually kind of surprised how much I enjoyed it. So, <laughs> well, there's there's no doubt that they are um, that what they do on this album they they are doing well. Um, uh-huh. It is it's just not not resonating with me personally. Um, so uh, let's listen to a cut off of this album um, and. Uh, a song called Dust. in town, black walls and drugs bad. Midnight Oil, this album did, it did fairly well in Australia. Like it was, you know, it was being heard there, but they didn't really have like a, a mainstream, you know, love around the world. And in the U.S. at the time, really, we didn't really, we didn't really get into it, you know. And and I wonder why. Like what, what was it? I'm I'm asking our Australian our Australian listeners out there, <laughs> you know, what is it about this band that that kept them in Australia for so long? I mean, obviously now they're they're around the world and and you know even here we know them pretty well, but but what is it? I don't know. I don't know. Okay, so that is Midnight Oil's um, debut album, uh, sim- titled simply Midnight Oil. Um, I. I am not a proponent of this album um, appearing in the the top uh, punk or new wave albums of 1978. But you know, different people have different tastes, so this this does not get my vote as far as an essential album to consider. Yeah, I like the album. 
uh, five out of seven songs I thought were awesome. There were thought thought were great, but but again, I I don't think it's going to make my punk or new wave list, mm-hmm. or make make my top my top list. I should say. Sure, sure. Okay, so now we get to talk about Per Ubu's second um, release uh, and the second one in 1978. Uh, this is an album called Dub Housing. And earlier this season, we talked about their debut album called The Modern Dance. And um, we spent a fair amount of time talking about our expectations and our history, or at least my history with, with Per Ubu. And I talked about my, my reservations about going back to their early kind of more avant-garde stuff and how surprised I was uh-huh. at how accessible that first album uh, is. So this album, I feel like there there is a chance that somewhere sometime soon i'm going to hit a pair ubu album where it goes kind of over over the edge for me as far as the avant-garde weirdness goes you you think you're going to say at some point that was just too weird yeah or yeah yeah, or just not quite accessible enough Mm -hmm. um it's not this album but this album is kind of going in that direction a little bit more um how do you feel about this album? I, I kind of prefer their debut album to this one a little bit. Uh, I, where do you, where do you stand? So I do prefer the debut album to this one. Although lis- listening to this one, there's definitely some experimentation here. I mean, uh, they they kind of go places that, that surprise me with it. Uh huh. Um, at the at the same time, you know, I I, I think that experimentation that they they did that avant-garde uh style that you call it is is pretty cool i i think it's still a pretty astute mix you know there there is enough there to to keep me engaged uh-huh. and exhibit a is the song that i picked to listen to off of this album uh a song called a song that is that is very challenging and sonically and its structure, but also somehow incredibly catchy at the same time. Uh, this is a song called On the Surface. might be against popular uh, opinion but I, I have to be honest I didn't really care for that song <laughs> you're you're right about how challenging it is and I'm going to listen <laughs> to it again but uh, <laughs> not my favorite unfortunately it is it is a good album but like I said I'm, I'm gonna give it another try I'm gonna give the whole the whole album another try and maybe I'll come around to this particular song <laughs> Well, part of the reason why I picked that song is because I want to count, wanted to counterbalance your choice. <laughs> um, so you picked a, a a song that is so avant-garde that 
it takes a while to even become a song. That's true. <laughs> really? It takes a little while. Yeah. 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 Uh, what did you, what did you pick? Well, I picked Codex, and and I was after I chose this song, I listened to this song. It was it it was challenging. Okay, I'll I'll be be truthful there. It was definitely challenging. But once it got in the groove, man, it I thought it was really cool. Um, and I had I had read a little bit after I listened to it for the first time, and I decided to choose this song. I was reading up on it, and there's a, a reviewer from All Music who who is pretty sure that that this song influenced um, uh, maybe maybe some Joy Division. You know, mm-hmm. um, and and I can I can kind of see that I can kind of see that, but he also went on to say that uh, that this was is perhaps their their best song and, or their best album, but definitely their most extreme experimental song. So, <laughs> yeah. sake i want to um just point out that the the snippet that we just listened to is towards the later um part of the song where it kind of sounds more like a song so it takes a long time (laughs) to build up to that um and uh and there's something i i didn't even try and and like ferret out what the lyrics were about but just just sonically just this the this the the um feel of this song it's very dark this this feels like a really dark bleak song to me um so the joy division influence totally makes sense there's some uh there's some really there's some really great instruments in this album too but but yeah i and i I kind of thought about that while I was listening to it, the whole Joy Division connection. Um, I think Closer is the one that that uh, the, the reviewer suggested that maybe was the mm-hmm. song specifically that, that was influenced by this. But mm-hmm. anyway, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I kind of dig Perry Ubu's album, uh, but, you know, dub housing, but I will say again, it's, it's not my favorite of theirs, so... Yeah, so that is Per Ubu's second release, dub housing. Um... I, I am going to, for my own personal uh, top 10 list, I'm going to fight as hard as I can to get a pair Ubu album on. But I, I think if that happens, it's going to be uh, the modern dance and uh-huh. not dub housing. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, a pretty, pretty worthy album on its own for sure. Yeah, here, here. Okay, here we go, Rob. Oh, so, yeah. 
At, at the top, I was talking about bands that debut albums where they emerge fully formed, sounding like no other band, have a really distinct, clear, focused mm -hmm. um, sense of who they are musically. Mm -hmm. uh, wow. Susie and the Banshees debut album, The Scream, was released in November of um, 1978. Uh, this is... This is quite an album yeah well you, you know my feelings about Susie and the banshees um this album right here definitely influenced joy division and probably a bunch of other bands <laughs> you know um yeah and totally i mean this is a unique sound uh susie's got it going on you know yeah that's right so i i have never been able to like really get into Susie and the Banshees. I've had several of their albums uh -huh. and I've had um uh but nothing this early and I've I've had several compilations so a couple of these songs I was familiar with. And my favorite Susie and the Banshees album that I'm completely familiar with is Juju. I love right. that album. Yeah. And there Great are of course that that's like their third or fourth one, I yeah. I believe. Um, but there are a couple of songs off of this album that would absolutely fit right in on Juju. Um, you and I picked exactly the same song. Of um, a song called Metal Postcard. This is uh, this is the first time I've ever heard this song. It is instantly leaped to one of my all-time favorite Susie and the Banshees song. Um, it is it is a sight to behold for sure. You know this this album. You know, we talked about how uh, how unique this this band is. Uh, they still sound rough, and it still sounds like this is their first album, at least to me. They become, of course, more commercialized and more more refined and more produced later on. But I am am giving like all kinds of praise to to Susie and the Banshees for I don't know for for just like pulling it off. I mean. <laughs> There's just something about it, you know. It's just really good stuff, and and, and yeah. dark, which is something I like. Yeah. Now I want to push back on the word rough a little bit. I I think I understand what you're saying, but uh -huh. um, for me, when I hear rough, uh, it sort of implies a band that is a little sloppy. There's oh, no. nothing sloppy about no, no, this no. band. They are tight. They are so focused. Uh, this the songwriting. 
this is, I, I mean, I, there's no doubt some people are going to be enraged by this next statement. This is my own personal opinion. But to me, the appeal of Susie and the Banshees has always been their sound and their intensity mm-hmm. and the th- and what they do as opposed to like the song writing from song to song um and i feel like that's that's kind of present here so i wouldn't i i wouldn't um i wouldn't say that the songs on this album really stand out to me as like expertly written songs but they're very well played and they're very well arranged and uh Susie Sue has a one of a kind voice oh, man. um yeah. which is she is she is in tune but the energy is so high um this is this is a great album it um, really is it's i guess it's wrong for me to use the phrase rough because it doesn't it's almost like a it's a word that that you know, it doesn't mean the way what everybody else feels it means. It, to me, it means something different, and I guess I need to change that. What it you is? You mean like like aggressive? Uh, aggressive. It it means aggressive. It means like it's gonna slap you on the ass, even though your butt's sore yeah. from sitting for a long time. It's you know, um, and that's that's what the way I the way I feel about this album. And and I I mean it's it's amazing. And and. It's not an album that I have been very familiar with. Like, this is probably my least familiar album of Susie mm. and the Banshees, and I have had every single one of their albums. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, God, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Well, this was a, a very well-received album when it was initially released. Um, got kind of universal critical um, uh, uh, reviews. So I... I would be shocked if this didn't make it onto the final top ten of 1978. Oh, yeah. I, I think this is a, a this is a an absolute mile marker in the progression of of post punk. Um, it is, of course, Susie the Banshees will um, soon go on to become sort of cornerstones of the whole goth movement. Right. You, you're right. not hearing a lot of uh, sounds in this album that one would necessarily think of as goth as we know it today. But it is, if you're listening, you can hear hints of, yeah. you know, what yeah. what they're, you know, the direction that they're going to go in. So very, very influential album. Um, great music. Yeah. So that's Susan the Banshees debut album The Scream moving on to The Clash's second release this is an album called Give Em Enough Rope Um, they had a pretty big hit in the UK with Tommy Gun we have of course uh, spent a fair amount of time talking about The Clash's catalog back in season one so we have um already heard the songs julie's been working for the drug squad and stay free um not my least favorite clash album but um (laughs) i i just i've never been able to get too excited about this Mm -hmm. 
just doesn't how, how, do much how, for you. Yeah, how, yeah. How are you feeling about it? Um, I, again, I think I had a different experience listening to it isolated. Um, mm-hmm. If you remember when we did the uh, deep dive on the Clash, there are there, there was just a lot to take in, um, and I don't recall where I was back in back when we recorded that episode. But I think this album is is okay to me. I like it. Um, I I don't love it, and I don't dislike it a single bit. I think it's I think it's I think it's fine. Um, now, when you, know. you when you submitted your list of songs for this episode, you did not include a pick off of this album. Was I that? And I I thought that was intentional. Was that intentional or just an oversight? No, it was it was completely by accident. <laughs> oh, okay. But but I, I was like, wow, he really doesn't like this album. No, no, no. no. <laughs> it was completely by accident. But the fun thing about it is, is that the song. It, it, I didn't even realize I didn't include a song until you said something just now because the uh-huh, song I uh-huh. chose was the song that you chose. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know, we we have so many excellent albums to to explore this episode that and we have heard two songs off of this album already in season 1 that we're just going to um, stick to one cut. Uh, a song called Safe European Home. I think it's I think it's great a great track, and uh, there's apparently there's a little story about about where the song came from. I guess uh, Joe and Mick went to to Jamaica to to write and come up with some songs, and they went down walking around the docks by themselves, and and uh, apparently there were lots of unseemly characters down there, and they, they these guys were, you know couple white British guys walking around the docks in Jamaica by themselves and they they were scared um and uh so that inspired the the name that inspired the song safe European home um now the funny thing was that the bassist for the clash Paul Simone and he he's really into reggae and he was kind of pissed off even years later that they never asked him to go with him Mm, mm mm-hmm um, so this was a uh, very well-received album by the critics, um, and it actually is NME's number 87th greatest album of all time. So uh, this album obviously has its fans. I just, I've owned it for, I don't know, 20 years, and it, it is, it just has never really resonated for for me to me it's like neither fish nor fowl I Uh I just I can't you know I I think part of it is the fact that it's wedged in between two monumental clash albums that it's just so easy to skim over this one 
Well, as far as being on my top 10, uh, there are other Clash albums that I would rather see on that list. So, Yeah, I mean, I, I would recommend um, people consider it um, simply because it's the Clash. And, sure. you know, up until like the very end, that last release before that, you kind of have to consider a Clash album, yeah. you know, because yeah. it's the Clash. Okay. <laughs> I've been looking forward to talking about this album for a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, November 1978 sees the release of The Police's um, debut album, Outlandos de Amor. Can, can you pronounce that better than I can? Uh, I just called it Outlandos de Amor. Okay. All right. So we're mm -hmm. we're kind of kind of in the in the same same, the same place boat. for this. This is this is an album that I've had since I was a kid. Yeah. Um I always love the police. Um I have a hard time getting excited about them nowadays just because here in the United States, just talk about oversaturation. Ah, you mm -hmm. just you yep. can't you <laughs> cannot go anywhere in public without still hearing the police and just like enough is enough. Oh, but yeah. this is um this is another one of those albums where it's like here's a debut album from a band that is fully formed and have their own thing going on. You are never going to mistake a, a police album for an album by any other band. Uh, I intentionally uh, um, put this after the Clash's album because I thought it was it was interesting that um, this album, uh, the police's debut album, was really poorly received by the critics at the time. Wow. Whereas The Clash's um, Given a Frope was very well received. And um, history has kind of flipped that, which I think is, is pretty interesting. Uh -huh. You know, uh, what I find interesting about this album is that it is, well, like you said, they're fully formed and ready to go. Um, there are some, there's some iconic police songs on this album. I've never owned any of their albums except for a greatest hits album. Mm. Um, and, and those amazing songs are on their debut album, which you kind of don't expect, you know, those songs that we, we grow to listen to and love. It's like, you don't expect that they're on their very first album, but here they are. Yeah. I got to tell you when I was, I mean, I, as I mentioned, I've had this album since I was a kid. Um, as I was listening to it this time, there there were a number of songs that I just, I had to skip over because of the dynamic that I, I just went on my little rave about. I uh -huh. mean, I, I don't think that I need to hear Roxanne right. or Can't Stand Losing You or yep. So Lonely ever again. I, it's just, they are, <laughs> they are great songs, but mm. they, they are sort of like, you know, they are the, um, all-star, you know, kind of like super duper saturation where it doesn't matter how great the song is. I'm not saying that all-star uh, is a great song, but it gets you that it's the uh, Roxanne is kind of the same sort of inner groan every time I hear it um, <laughs> that, that I do when I hear all-star um, well, at this point. Those songs have been, I mean, they still get play on the radio here. Uh, you know? 
too uh, too much. Yeah, they still I, I mean, there, there here here in Chico, there are three um, sort of um, old pop or classic rock stations that I have programmed in. You know, among the various stations that I flip through when I'm in my car, and there was once where I went from one station to the other, and each one, all three of them, were playing the police at the same time <laughs> and that's just that's insanity that's well crazy i i want you to know that um to to play tonight on the podcast i didn't choose my very favorite song because it's one of those songs you mentioned so is it is it roxanne no it's can't oh. stand losing you which is a creepy uh, song about a psycho stalker yeah but, yeah yeah but you know that's that's the fun of it uh, <laughs> but but I want to know about the song that you chose. Well, um, can we talk about your song first? Because okay, I've got an did. order here. Yeah, yeah. I want to stick to it. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Fine, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, Wait, what, what did you pick? So I chose Masoko Tenga. And the fun thing about this song is that according to Sting, this song was written kind of and you know sting is weird right he's he's just kind of a he's a kooky guy but it was written in like kind of a hallucinatory state and it was almost like you know speaking in tongues where he just whipped out this like language that doesn't exist and then that's what they used So, so we know, like I said, we know that Sting is weird, and he sings in lots of different languages. I myself have a copy of, of Nada Como El Sol, which is, you know, in Spanish. Uh, but go ahead and tell us about your song. Well, I picked um, Truth Hits Everybody um, just because it wasn't a song that I was sick of, and it sounded pretty damn good to me. It's um, kind of one of the... Um, rawest songs off of this album um uh, but catchy the energy is is really high um this is kind of the police you know when they're this is the police in the mode that i like them the most
it's it's a very enjoyable song like you said and uh it i felt you know i skipped by the way i skipped listening to roxanne and can't stand losing you and so lonely this song really caught my ear though and it's a song that i know pretty well but it doesn't get a lot of play on the radio so it was kind of kind of cool to listen to it and i'm glad you chose it yeah well that's that's one of the the reasons why I picked it because it was a song that I wasn't completely sick of yeah. off of this album. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, the, the, the songwriting is so strong on this album, even if the, the, the lyrics are maybe not the most adventuresome, at least when sting is, is speaking in, in English. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, there's there's a lot of a lot of um, heartbroken lover boy type stuff, which is not not terribly interesting. But the the songwriting itself, I mean, I have to constantly remind myself that this is a three member band yeah. who is not doing overdubs. I mean, right. the sound is so full. Um, but it's not a perfect album. It gets it gets a little even. You know, if if you take out the factor that I'm just so sick of of certain songs, um, so many of the songs are so strong, but it gets a little wobbly towards the end. Of course, uh-huh. the album ends with your pick, yeah. the song that w- we heard um, from you. But the two songs right before that, um, pretty shaky, do not stand up um, next to like any other song off of this album uh very well at all yeah i was really surprised like i i think i might have heard my girl sally be my girl sally but i didn't know those songs i just didn't know them and and i'm kind of glad you know i'm not crazy about those songs for sure (laughs) so in fact there's there's i think one other song but the rest of them i love i love them yeah 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 a great post-punk pop i mean these are pop songs um it's so catchy um so i um this is this is a pretty great album that i just happened to have reached my threshold for a long time ago good i will be i will be astonished if this isn't in the top five i think it might even be number one it it won't be my number one Mm -hmm. um but uh, this is, I mean, this is a, a monster classic new wave debut. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Right? I, I, I may even put it, I may put it in the top 10. Um, I'm going to hold my, I'm going to reserve the top five, I think, for, for stuff that's coming. But uh, mm. it, it, I think it will go in my top 10. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, I'm not quite sure yet. So, um, there's one other thing I want to touch base. Oh, uh, Rolling Stone magazine thinks that Roxanne is the 388th greatest song of all time (laughs) and that the album itself is the 428th greatest album of all time. (laughs) Okay, we're kind of winding things down a little bit. We've got two more bands um, to talk about that released albums in November of 1978. So let's talk about Sham 69. We heard their debut album um, earlier this year. Their follow-up album is a song, um, is an album called That's Life. 
had a couple of um, sizable hits, uh, Angels with Dirty Faces and Hurry Up Harry. And I think that Angels with Dirty Faces is probably nowadays their most enduring song. At least mm. it's the song that I see pop up on um, punk rock compilations the most. I'm still, I'm still, I'm, I, I'm still kind of unfamiliar with Sham 69. Um, definitely uh, uh, an interesting punk band, but, but yeah, this whole album was brand new to me. Yeah, so there is something very noticeable about this album. Um, so it is, this is a two-for-oneer, in the sense that when you listen to this album, you get an album of songs and you get an album of skits and um <laughs> yeah i my sense is that probably you're you um in, you get into the uh the spirit of things more than i do but mm -hmm. it got old fast for me yeah. you uh, just I, wanted I, the I music say. and wanted the people in the background to shut up <laughs> well it just i mean it was almost Every song had yeah. either an intro or an outro that was just, um, you know, guys, uh, guys goofing off in the studio trying to sound like they were in a pub or something. And um, maybe there was, maybe I just wasn't paying close enough attention as far as what the point was, but it didn't sound particularly entertaining or funny right. or insightful. It just, it sounded like some skits. Yeah. Yeah. And there's there's nothing wrong with that, but it, you know, got old. Definitely got old fast for me. Well, I'm I'm uh, gonna I'm gonna say this that you know, I lost interest in that sort of thing at the very first song. Ah, uh, okay. So you're like, you're kind of coming from the same yeah. place that it, it that went I am it went this. a little too long for me, and yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, and I wanted them to get going. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I am. I am not like um, philosophically opposed to the idea of having non-musical elements in between songs or in songs. I think that um, that can be done to great effect um, and can be very enjoyable. Mm -hmm. I think that here, it, uh, the way that it's applied is very inartful um, and just... It's not even stripping all that out. I don't think it's an album that that I would ever like really get into. Um, so this is this is a bit of a tough sit for me. Uh, what song did you pick off of this album? I picked the very first track on the album, "Leave Me Alone."
feel like Leave Me Alone should have been the We're Not Gonna Take It Every Day, you know? You know that song, We're Not Gonna Take It? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah and, uh, I, hey, I was alive in the 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so in, the, in this song, there's all that chatter in the very beginning. And I swear to God, I wanted to say, just leave him alone. Let him do the song. Um, and and I, I, I don't know. But that song, that song grabbed me. And I've heard, I listened to the entire album. Um, you know, and I, I normally will, I, I reserve, I wait until I listen to the whole thing to decide which song I'm going to choose. And really, I'll say this, it's kind of sad. That's the only song I really cared about. So, <laughs> but leave me yeah, alone. I, I kind of enjoyed, uh, well, Angels with Dirty Faces, I'm very familiar with. I like that uh -huh. song. I also um, kind of enjoyed Hurry Up, Harry. Um, but to to be fair, I've only listened to this album maybe three or four times. So it's, it's possible that with additional sittings, it could grow on me. Um, but at this point, if I'm going to figuratively reach for a Sham 69 album, it's going to be their debut album. It's yeah. not going to be this one. Um, I will have to agree on that one. So yeah, they're not going to make my they're not going to make my top ten on this one. That leaves just one album left. One punk or new wave album released in November of 1978. Um, Rolling Stones number 20th greatest punk album of all time an album I had never heard before I am totally I, blown away by that by the way <laughs> I love the X-Ray Specs germ-free adolescence for yeah. many reasons one of the reasons being can you think of a better name for a punk album than germ-free adolescence <laughs> Perfect. Um, chef, chef's kiss. This is an astonishing album. Yeah. Um, I, wow, wow is is all I can say about this. I am so in love with with this. Um, we have talked about X-ray specs uh, in the past because they made your yeah. list of all-time favorite punk yeah. bands. During that episode, we listened to Oh Bondage, Up Yours, which is a song that I like and the only song of theirs that I was familiar with. And I just sort of erroneously assumed that they were a trick, one-trick pony and oh. every song of theirs was going to sound just like that. But yeah. I was so surprised by this album. There is a lot of diversity in this album. Yeah. It's, it's, it's cohesive. It's not erratic or anything, but it is, um, it's not like, oh, I'm listening to the same song over right. and over again. Um, it totally surprised me when you mentioned to me that you weren't familiar with, with their work and, and specifically polystyrene, polystyrene's work. I, I still harbor a fat crush on polystyrene, um, <laughs> And up bond, oh bondage up yours, of course, was a big one, but there were also some. There's some big songs, like for instance, the day the world turned day glow is a huge song, and plastic bag was a huge song. So I was really surprised, and I'm I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I'm glad that you enjoyed this album. To be clear, um, oh bondage up yours was a single. So mm -hmm. it was not included on this album. Right. So that is not a song that's featured in this album. Of course, in in uh, 
uh, future re-releases it will be included because that's the way re-releases work but in the initial um, release it was it it had been released earlier and probably was instrumental in getting them the record deal yeah I gotta say the majority of the songs off of this album I prefer to uh, Oh Bondage Up Yours. I love yeah. the energy of Oh Bondage Up Yours, but there are some really well-written, catchy songs off of this album that I was not expecting at all. Yeah. Um, so can we can we just, since we're talking about that, let's listen to um, Warrior in Woolworths, uh, which is sort of exhibit A. Warrior, 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 warrior. Warrior and Woolworths is a great song, but I seriously, there's not a song on this album that I, I don't think is just as good. They're all great tunes. Um, and and I'm really happy that, that this album came around about now because it's, it's I've been listening to it for a while and I can't stop. So. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, originally we had scheduled a mini dive on the x-ray specs for uh-huh. for this um for this episode but you know we came to our senses and realized oh my gosh there are there are 10 really notable albums and we need to spend the whole episode um just focusing on the these albums we, we would have had so, to cut it we would have had to cut out the police yeah right sure <laughs> you know um and there there're just too many of them that we wanted to feature two songs rather than one song so what we're going to do we're going to do something that's a little clunky but i think um it is the best um choice considering the fact that november of 1978 is just chock full of awesome albums mm-hmm. and december of 1978 is a little sparse so we are going to save our mini dive for next month um, on X-ray specs, and so we will we will set aside a, a fair amount of time to. They only release two albums, um, so we will only uh, we're only going to listen to Warrior and Woolworths today on this episode, and um, uh, next month we will uh, feature several more s- songs off of this album. Sweet, can't wait I, for that. I love this album. I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm so yeah. glad. It is um, almost certainly going to make my top 10. I think that if you, you're you taking your, your top 10 list seriously, you should at least listen to it. Um, I, I, um, I've always considered early punk to be a 
like a total boys club and it was a total boys club but so many pleasant surprises this year as far as female led punk bands yeah no and kidding. um and this is like number one yeah. of of pleasant surprises i am so excited about this yeah <laughs> so yeah. glad well i've i've always been a huge fan of the x-ray specs and again specifically polystyrene so you know this is going to go in my top 10 likely to go in my top five so. yeah yeah okay rob so uh one more point of business let's uh let's talk about um which album of november 1978 gets rob's blue ribbon stamp of approval oh yeah best album uh released as far as you're concerned i'm gonna have to it's go tough, isn't it it is it is tough i am i'm gonna have to go with uh germ-free adolescence and it was a really tight it was a tight fit between that and Susie and the Banshees uh, scream, but yeah, we're gonna go with uh, X-ray specs. Yeah, me too, and it wasn't even close. <laughs> <laughs> what a month! Yeah, a lot of <laughs> a lot month. of really great music. <laughs> I I I I don't want to scare anyone off, but I I gotta say. Um, December of 1978, um, it's it's going to be rough coming off of, <laughs> of this month. <laughs> yeah, so Nove they, they can't all be winners. But <laughs> November, we should have ended the season on this one. You know, <laughs> <laughs> there's still good music coming. I promise. <laughs> but before we get to that, we have a deep dive. Mm -hmm. um, Rob, you want to tell everybody who we are doing a deep dive on this month? Yeah, absolutely. We are doing a deep dive on the jam, which I'm kind of stoked about. Yeah, yeah. I I will finally get a chance to um, really sit down and listen to every single jam album. Um, my 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 knowledge of their catalog is um, spotty. Uh, but I, I have a tremendous amount of love and respect for the jam. Okay, Rob, I think our work here is done. Um, I'll talk to you soon, right? All right. See ya. Okay, bye-bye. Oh.